Welcome to the Albanian Cafe, Episode 1, Geography. Welcome back to the Albanian Cafe. I'm your host, Nicolin Tertulli. Today we are going over the geography of the Balkans, and Albania specifically. This is our first official episode, so I hope you're as excited as I am. Today we'll be examining the prominent features of the region, why they deserve our attention, and how they fit into the broader historical narrative. It's important that we dedicate some time to going over the geography of the area because not only do we have a better appreciation of historical events that happen within Southeast Europe, but we also get a better sense of how the region developed over the years. So I advise you all to brace yourselves because there will be a lot of facts coming your way. Now, for those of us who aren't geography buffs, you can rest assured that you will not be quizzed on this at the end. And to make things easy, I have posted a few maps online along with the episode, so please reference them uh, to make it easier to follow along. So let's talk about Eastern Europe as a whole. To begin with, it is bordered by the Adriatic, the Ionian, Aegean, and Black Seas. The region has been called the Balkans, or the Balkan Peninsula, since the early 19th century, when the Balkan mountain range was considered to be the most noteworthy feature in the area. Even though the Balkan mountain range is by no means its most dominant feature, the name has stuck over the centuries. The region continues to be recognized as the Balkans uh, geographically and politically, but there has been a shift to label it as Southeast Europe. That's because Southeast Europe, while remaining accurate, doesn't carry negative connotations and avoids some complexities. We don't have to look further than the word balkanized to understand why. The exact definition of this word is to break up a region or group into smaller and often hostile units, emphasis on the hostile. Now, this word emerged in the early 20th century when history and geography began to converge on one another pretty dramatically. The collapse of Ottoman authority and the rise of nationalism fractured the region as different groups began fighting for control. So when we think of the Balkans, some of the imagery that we conjure up includes ethnic violence and war, but nothing else. I mentioned that the Balkans have geographic and political definitions as well. While politically the word has come to define the grouping of the following nations, Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Serbia, Montenegro, Kosovo, North Macedonia, Albania, and Bulgaria. But depending on who you're talking to, that list might expand to include Greece, Romania, European Turkey, and even by some stretches Moldova, and vice versa geographically. And it gets contentious whenever you're trying to define where the northern boundary of the Balkans is. So you can see why it's just smarter to go with Southeast Europe. So let's highlight some of the broader features of the region. Starting in the northwest, you have the Italian Alps. And from Slovenia, you have what are called the Dinaric Alps. Now, they extend southeast along the Adriatic coast and go through Croatia, Bosnia, Montenegro, Serbia, and finally Albania, where they meet up with the Pindus Mountains. The Pindus Mountains form what are called the Spine of Mainland Greece, and they run alongside the Ionian Sea. And to the east of the Dinaric Alps, you also have the Balkan Mountain Range that stretches along Bulgaria's northern border from Serbia to the Black Sea. South of the Balkan Range, you have the Rodopi Mountains along the Greek and Bulgarian borders. Towards the north of the Balkan Range, you have the Carpathian Mountains that form an arc through Romania, Hungary, and Poland. 
So in short, mountains, mountains, and you guessed it, more mountains. Now, all of these mountain ranges have their own significant impact on the region, but we'll be looking at only three closely. They are the Dinaric Alps, the Karab Mountains, and the Pindus Mountain Range. All three of these ranges meet in Albania and run along its northern, eastern, and southern borders. There are two ways I want you to look at these ranges. The first, and more importantly, as a geographic area that has been insulated from geopolitical winds throughout the centuries. And secondly, as strong natural borders for modern Albania and its neighbors. So let's first look at the Dinaric Alps and the Albanian Alps subrange. The Dinaric Alps start from Slovenia and extend all the way to northern Albania, which is just under 1,000 kilometers or over 600 miles. They are bounded by the Adriatic Sea in the west and several rivers, most notably the Socha in the north, the Sava along the north-northeast, and the Drina in the south. The Dinaric Alps rise up dramatically from the sea and through antiquity have provided many safe havens for pirates. Once the range approaches the borders of Albania, Montenegro, and Kosovo, you will find what are called the Albanian Alps. Now, the Albanian Alps are a sub-range of the Dinaric Alps, and they take on features different from the rest of the mountain range. Primarily, there you will find the range's highest peaks, and its highest peak is Mount Yezerza, which is over 8,000 feet high. There are 24 massifs, or 24 groups of mountains that rise up at the end of the range, and they all average about 2,000 meters or 7,000 feet above sea level. Given the spike in elevation, the mountains take on more glacial qualities that make it almost impassable, but not completely inhospitable. The terrain is overall rugged, but the land was arable enough to support small populations, so throughout the centuries there have been villages and small towns scattered throughout. The region consisting of and surrounding the Albanian Alps have kept its inhabitants isolated and granted them a fair amount of autonomy over their lives. But communities remained small in size and their populations never grew larger than 100 people or so. In antiquity, the Dinaric Alps have been home to many ancient tribes that fought the Romans or simply kept themselves. Now, moving southeast from the Albanian Alps, you have the Karab Mountains. Now, the Karab Mountains are the meeting point for what I would consider the Dinaric Alps and the Pindus Mountains. They are located along the northern portion of the Albanian-North Macedonia border. The range is named after its peak, Mount Korabi, which sits at a staggering height of 9,026 feet above sea level, and it is the highest point in both Albania and North Macedonia. Like the Albanian Alps, the Karab Mountains have several peaks over 7,000 feet, and they share similar features. It's impassable for large groups, and the area around the mountains has traditionally supported small pastoral communities and villages. However, when you look south to the Pindus Mountains, you can see a slightly different landscape. Now, the Pindus mountain range differs from the Albanian Alps and the Karab Mountains in two distinct ways. To begin, the mountain range extends from mainland Greece, just north of the Peloponnese, up through to southern Albania and north Macedonia, more or less. If you look at a map of Albania, starting from the central or southern coast, the land rises more gradually and the valleys tend to be much wider and the mountains less steep. Historically, this made the area more traversable, especially if you were trying to move armies around or establish inland trade networks. Another feature is that the land is more arable, which resulted in the area being able to sustain larger populations and allowed for the development of towns and cities. 
More importantly, at the edge of the range, you have Lake Okhrid and Lake Prespa. These two are among the oldest and largest lakes in the Balkans, and Okhrid has been a place that attracted many settlers because of its fresh water and commerce. And it's no surprise that control over the region has been contested since antiquity. Now, I would like to shift gears and briefly talk about what is going on underneath the surface. Southeast Europe sits at the border of two tectonic plates, which are the Eurasian and African plates. But if you break it down, you have something called the Alps orogeny, which simply put is where the plates have been and are currently folding and crashing into one another. If we break it down just a bit further, you have the Apulian subplate underneath the Adriatic Sea and the Aegean subplate under, you guessed it, the Aegean Sea. Now, to keep things brief, I want everyone to know that the plates are active now just as they have been for millions of years. This makes the region no stranger to minor and catastrophic earthquakes. Quite recently, even, Albania suffered a 6.4 magnitude earthquake and the country is still dealing with the effects. It's important to flag this because it's one of two major Acts of God events that affect the region semi-regularly. The other is flooding, but we will get into that in just a moment. So for now, let's take a quick break. I would like to take a moment to say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for their generosity. It's because of your generous contributions that we're able to continue to move forward and keep generating content. And I also wanted to take this moment to remind listeners that if you are enjoying the content that you're hearing and are excited about the show, then please consider making a contribution on our Patreon account. You can find the link attached in the bio of the episode, and you can also find it on our Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter pages. So once again, thank you to all of our generous supporters. And let's get back to the podcast. Now that we've covered some of the more important features of the region, let's take a look at Albania more closely. Now, I'm going to be a little redundant, but I want to just make sure I drive home some concepts. But Albania borders four other countries. Those four are Montenegro in the northwest, Kosovo in the northeast, North Macedonia in the east, and Greece along its southern border. Albania also has a 362-kilometer or 224-mile-long coastline along the Adriatic and Ionian seas on its western border, and southern Albania sits only just 40 miles across the sea from the boot of Italy. All of present-day Albania's borders are artificial, and what I mean by that is that they were drawn up in 1912 during the Conference of Ambassadors in London, and never developed organically. The size of the country is 28,750 square kilometers, or just over 11,000 square miles. That makes it slightly smaller than the state of Maryland, but slightly larger than Massachusetts or Vermont. Its topography is about 70% mountainous, but the country is surprisingly diverse ecologically. Along its coastlines, it boasts hundreds of wetlands that contain a plethora of flora and fauna. The lowlands can be found along the coast, and the geography becomes more jagged as you proceed inland. Now, three-fourths of the country is about a minimum 200 meters or 650 feet above sea level. The majority of the population centers and major historical sites are found not far from the coast, the cities of Lege, Duras, and Vlor are all located on the coast. But not much farther inland, you have Škodr, Kruje, Tirana, Fier, Berat, 
and El Basan. Two of the exceptions are Girocaster and Corcho, which are found up in the mountains in the southern part of the country. Now, the country has a climate that varies considerably depending on where you are. Along the coast, there are more moderate temperatures year-round because of the warm maritime air that's coming in from the Mediterranean. Normally, you'll have hot, dry summers and mild and wet winters along the coast. However, when you proceed more inland, cool continental air has more of an influence, and the increased elevation also plays a role as well. So what you end up getting are moderate summers and colder winters the farther in and up you are in the country. The mountain ranges that we've discussed give Albania several climate zones, but this has some pretty significant consequences. I mentioned before the break that flooding is another problem that the region faces. This has to do when those two specific air masses meet. Now, where the two airflows meet varies from year to year, but when they do, they create heavy precipitation. Albania gets an abundant amount of rain, but it's unevenly distributed across the country every given year. In southern Albania, on average, you can get up to 40 inches of rain. But when you go to the north, you can get almost over 100. Now, to put that in perspective for those of us in the United States, that is on average 30 to 40 more inches than our rainiest city. This disparity is further exacerbated by the fact that Albania receives all of its rain during the winter months. So, the central uplands have periodically dealt with severe flooding during and around the winter months. Some of the water is able to drain through some rivers, but a majority remains and the damage can be devastating in the areas. A majority of Albania's economy is in agriculture, so when these floods do occur, not only do they damage crops, but they erode the soil, causing poor yields later on. Now, let's shift our focus over to the rivers in Albania. There are five major rivers that I want to touch on. All of them share similar characteristics. They all flow down from the mountains, and they drain out into the sea. And most importantly, they are unnavigable. So rather than promoting commerce or travel within the country, they serve as natural borders or dividing lines. Now, in the south, you have the Viosa River that flows from Greece into Albania and into the Adriatic Sea. In central Albania, you have the Devol and Shkumbin rivers. And in the north, you have the Drin. Now, given the irregularity of the precipitation and how it falls disproportionately throughout the year, the rivers tend to be streams during the summer, and during the winter, they tend to be torrents. We tend to think of rivers and the surrounding areas as ideal locations to establish settlements, but rivers in Albania and most of southeastern Europe, with the exception of the Danube, have the opposite effect. Also, almost all of the rivers can be found at the bottom of gorges or canyons, thus making it very difficult to travel alongside them. Now, out of all of these rivers, the Shkumbin is going to serve an important purpose as a dividing line going forward. In antiquity, it can be viewed as the natural border between Hellenic communities and Illyrian tribes. And it's around here where we have some of our more significant interactions between the two groups. Later on, it's along the banks of the Shkumbin where the Romans decide to build the famous Via Ignatia which linked east and west, connecting Dyrrhachium, Okrid, Thessaloniki, and various other cities throughout the empire, promoting commerce and significantly changing what the Balkans looked like. And much later on, 
Although it's not directly responsible, it serves as a border between two dialects of the Albanian language, Geg in the north and Tosk in the south. The Shkumin River also serves as a rough religious dividing line, more or less after the region had been Christianized. Alright, that's enough geography for right now. Let's shift gears and look at what the region looked like in the 6th and 5th centuries BCE, and we'll set the stage for our next episode. This takes us into antiquity, uh, at a time when city-states were arising. Now, we don't know exactly when city-states arose, but shortly before this time is our best guess, so between 1000 and 800 BCE. Now, the development of city-states was directly linked to the physical environment in Southeast Europe. The rugged mountain terrain made it difficult to have any centralized authority over a large region, so instead of having one dominant entity, you had a handful of city-states that competed with one another for control. Most of us are already familiar with Athens, Sparta, and Corinth and the famous Peloponnesian War, but there were a large number of city-states or Greek colonies that often go unrecognized from modern-day Spain all the way to the Crimean Peninsula. Albania is home to two ancient Greek colonies, Apollonia and Epidamnos, later Dyrrhachium the latter being the starting point of the Peloponnesian War. Now, as the Greeks expanded into the world, they encountered many civilizations. To the east, the Persian Empire was experiencing a golden age under Darius the Great. In the southwest, a newly liberated Carthage had become a flourishing maritime empire. In the northwest, the Etruscans would soon face a rebellion from a small city that called itself Rome and proclaimed itself a republic. And to the north, however, there was an elusive group that the Greeks came into contact with. They were the Illyrians, and it's with them that our narrative will begin. That's all for today. I want to thank you for listening to the Albanian Cafe. Please give us a like on Facebook, and we are officially on iTunes now, so please leave a review. If you have any questions, tips, or feedback, feel free to email me at info at thealbaniancafe.com. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nikolin Tertulli, and until next time, Miro Pavshim, Ede Yuroi Shindet.